This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our first guest this week is Doug Kelly. He's CEO of an organization called the American Edge Project. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And a little later on, uh, former Attorney General Terry Goddard will join us in this and the subsequent discussion. Uh, we were approached by you folks, American Edge Project. Who are you and what are you trying to do? Sure. So the American Edge Project is a coalition of 24 different groups that represent small businesses, minority businesses, and also technology companies that were dedicated to telling the story about the positive impact that technology has in our country. Because at the end of the day, technology is not just another sector. It's the very backbone of our national security, of our economy, and also of our values. And so as Congress thinks about, hey, what do we want to do with technology? We're, we're very clear in the message. It's like, first, do no harm. And we really want people to understand the important role that technology plays in not only our security, but also their everyday lives. Tell me a little bit about who's behind it. The, the, the research that I did on this uh, certainly indicates that uh, you're a creature of Silicon Valley and technology companies, but you mentioned small business and minority. I hadn't seen anything about that. Who, who is uh, paying your freight there? Oh, sure. Well, yeah, certainly we represent technology companies, uh, but also, and it's right on the front of our uh, webpage, um, but also we have groups like the Minority Chamber of Commerce, the Black Chamber of Commerce, um, small business associations, and others who have a stake in making sure that the U.S. has the most innovative technology in the world. Because, again, at the end of the day, uh, whether you're a small business, whether you're um, you know, worried about America's national defense or advancing our values, America's technology and our ability to uh, to build innovative things. That's what gives us our advantage in the world over our foreign competitors. Uh, I want to uh, pull up a uh, clip. I, I found uh, you, you've a number of commercials that you've been running. Uh, I chose this one just because it was uh, more succinct. It was 30 seconds and, and had a lot of themes in it. And I want to, mm -hmm. uh, for people who have, it, for you, it's a, it's a free play. For anybody else who hasn't heard it, it's, a, it's an opportunity to hear what we're talking about here. America has fostered a free and accessible Internet that grows our economy and strengthens our national security. How our leaders respond to tech concerns will shape the Internet of the future. Privacy. National security. American innovation. The stakes are high. Smart regulation will strengthen confidence in America's tech industry and promote our values around the world. Our leaders in Washington can help ensure that America preserves her competitive edge. Learn more. Well, uh, well done. My takeaways here, there are uh, a litany here of what I would call motherhood issues. Who is not for free and accessible Internet, growing the economy, strengthening national security, privacy, national security, American innovation, and smart regulation. Uh, I suppose only two of those, uh, well, you know, smart regulate, the, the modifier smart uh, is undefined, of course, uh, and, and one wonders, can that mean ineffectual? But there's no connecting the dots here. It's like uh, this is 
this is a series of states like being advocacy of motherhood without mentioning sex. How uh, what's the connection between this? What what are you really trying to do here? I mean, I, those are goals. Those are those are admirable goals, I guess, is the way I'd put it. But what is it that you want done in furtherance of those? Sure. So what we want to make sure uh, happens in terms of technology is we want to make sure that Congress uh, does things that protect America's ability to innovate, like helping bring more semiconductor manufacturing to our shores, like helping knocking down barriers that are they're hurting innovation and doesn't do those things that would handcuff our biggest innovators. And I'll, I'll explain this by saying that originally I'm from Michigan, right? And Michigan was an incredible manufacturing community when I grew up uh, in the 80s. And through a series of laws that were passed, including letting China and the World Trade Organization, uh, Michigan lost an enormous amount of its manufacturing jobs. In fact, um, because of these uh, bills that were passed and the unintended consequences that they had, America overall lost 5 million manufacturing jobs. And many of these counties and cities are still struggling to recover from that. And we really handed that manufacturing edge over to China. So fast forward 20 years from when those were passed in the in, in 2000, right? Now I see the same thing, and we're worried about the same thing happening with America's technological edge. Um, because China is really serious about building its technology capabilities and using those to build the world's strongest military to become the number one global superpower. And what we're saying to Congress is, listen, if you're when you're thinking about uh, technology, you have to do the things that protect our competitive edge against China and other adversaries. And don't do things that in the short term may feel good, but have lots of unintended consequences down the road that surrender something that we really value that we won't be able to get back. Well, you started, uh, the first thing you mentioned specifically was semiconductor manufacturing. What is the government mm -hmm. doing right now to discourage semiconductor manufacturing in this country? I see a lot of governors and others, particularly at the state level, uh, running around trying to uh, jump on top of one another, offering incentives. What's what's the government doing yeah, to some, inhibit? Some of it is encouraging, right? So um, most of the semiconductors that um, are made in the world are made overseas in Taiwan, right? Taiwan has roughly 70 percent uh, of the sales there. Um, but in reality, the pandemic exposed that, man, when we have critical core, uh, whether they're technologies or products, when they're made overseas, we need to make sure that we are having a robust and resilient supply chain with a lot of it made here. So uh, Arizona, you guys have a lot of manufacturing of microchips there, and that's fantastic. Ohio just landed. I'm, I'm based in Ohio. Ohio just landed a $20 billion Intel factory here uh, that eventually will be the world's largest chip manufacturer. Those are amazingly smart investments that Congress can do to say, hey, how do we help double down on our technologies that are going to help our country maintain its innovation edge? I'm I'm still unclear what we're doing. What are, we seem to be encouraging this. I've only seen incentives, you know, thrown on the table for this. Sometimes people argue it's too rich, but is you, you, the implication of what you said is that we're somehow trying to discourage this? So let's take a look at 
some of the bills that they're talking about in Washington, D.C., right? Because some people on the left are frustrated at technology. Some people are on the right, and they're angry at, quote, unquote, big tech. It's very in fashion to be against big tech. Well, some of the bills that they put forward um, under the guise of being antitrust and reform and antitrust law are, in fact, very anti-innovation law and would hurt a number of different core technology of the U.S. For example, some of these bills would take and split apart our biggest technology bills, our biggest technology companies. Other these bills would restrict the lines of business that these firms can go in. And then still others would reduce the ability of these companies to engage in mergers and acquisitions. At the end of the day, all of those bills would slow our ability to innovate. It would hurt state-based innovation ecosystems like the great ones Arizona has. And so what we're trying to do also is shine a light on those things and say, hey, wait a minute. If you're going to do things that, um, you know, regulate technology, make sure they're smart things that don't have long-term unintended consequences. Okay, my big takeaway is that antitrust is part of this. Uh, we will re- return after the break, and I'll um, uh, introduce Terry Goddard, our former attorney general here. And uh, I know he has engaged in this issue at a, at a number of levels. When we return in just a moment in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with uh, Doug Kelly, the CEO of something called the American Edge Project, talking about technology in America. And I want to introduce into the show, uh, uh, reintroduce Terry Goddard, a former among among other things, former Attorney General of the State of Arizona, been involved in that capacity. I know with some of these issues as well as others. And uh, I want under uh, if you can uh, either comment or question as you as you like. No, I, Mr. Kelly, it's a pleasure to meet you online or, or virtually. Um, <laughs> you too. And and I certainly applaud some of the the things that you have as as overall goals. You know, fostering technology and innovation. Um, but I, I I I guess as they say, often the devil's in the details, and and it sounds like. Um, you don't really consider competition to be a way of stimulating innovation. I mean, oh, how, no how, how, do you, how do you feel I, about the competition in the marketplace and specifically in the tech sector? Yeah. So uh, I would say that America has always been about competition, and the American Edge Project is for competition, right? And our antitrust standard in this country for the last 50 years has really been about how does a company's uh, behavior impact the consumer overall, right? But the problem with some of these new bills is they focus on how do we protect specific competitors. And when you turn away from consumers and instead you focus on protecting competitors, what you do is you end up getting worse products at higher prices and slowing down innovation. And I would just say that that's the wrong direction at a time when people are worried about inflation, they're worried about supply chains. What we really need is more resilient supply chains. We need to slow rising prices, and we need our economy to work better for workers and families. And so we believe that there's plenty of competition out there and that our existing antitrust laws, as they are written now, certainly can hold um, bad actors accountable um, in the courts. And, in fact, some of the uh, companies right now are undergoing scrutiny and uh, 
lawsuits in this area for this exact same thing. So we say instead of kind of overturning 50 years of, of laws that have helped create this innovation ecosystem, not only at the federal level, but also at the state level, including Arizona, let's make sure that we're doing things wisely and helping accelerate innovation rather than hurting it. Great. But would it be fair to say that, that you and your organization are opposed to monopoly power then? Well, I would say that we're for the free market system, right? Just no. because somebody has uh, a, has a better product and they have a larger market share doesn't mean they're a monopoly. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the competition that goes on between these big platform companies, it's cutthroat. I mean, Facebook in one day lost a quarter of a trillion dollars um, because of competition in part. So I would say that there's plenty of competition there. But it's really important for our lawmakers also to look outside the United States and say who's competing against us for global geopolitical power. Uh, and man, China and Russia will light up, and technology is really critical for our ability to check their ambitions. Well, how, how does Facebook uh, factor into our national security? So let's just take a look at tech overall, right? And some of the tech is really at the critical core of our U.S. security, right? So whether it's advanced weaponry, intel systems, communications and cyber protections, or even encryption and logistics, right? A lot of people don't realize that our biggest technology companies, whether it's a Meta, whether it's a Amazon, whether it's a Microsoft, they are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in the technologies of the future. For example, in quantum computing, uh, Amazon is investing a lot of money in that area. And quantum computing basically can render military-grade encryption easily decipherable. Um, and it can cause a real gap for this. China is investing trillions of dollars in that program. Additionally, things that uh, Microsoft is working on in terms of cyber protection, uh, Facebook with augmented and extended reality, all of these things come together uh, to create a really powerful suite of tools that have dual uses, right, both on the commercial side, but also for the military. And so when I talk about the unintended consequences, if Congress passes a bill that really handcuffs our biggest uh, technology companies and the ones who are the most innovative, and it puts on onerous penalties that don't apply to their foreign competitors, well, what's going to happen is innovation is going to drop, and our ability to win the race for the technology of the futures, we're not going to win. Um, and it's that simple. So we're encouraging Congress to take the long view on this and to at least hold a series of national security hearings on, okay, with these bills, what would they actually do for our country's security? Would it compromise our cyber protection? Would it hurt our ability for intel gathering? Would it hurt our ability to build advanced weapons? Would it impact our ability for encryption uh, and advanced decision-making? Uh, at the very at least, they need to do those type of hearings to make sure they're not doing any harm. And, and Congress is not doing that now, in your opinion? No, they have not. Okay. And and you're specifically, I think, talking about the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, or are there other items that have, have crossed your desk that you think are, are uh, anti-innovation? <laughs> yeah. 
Sure. There's about five different bills overall, but the one that's kind of most in play right now is that uh, American Invoice Innovation and Choice Act. And I, I want to make it really concrete to people. One of a couple of the challenges with that bill is first, it's inflationary, right? So it targets a small handful of American platform companies, um, and it restricts them from offering either free shipping or it'll ban inexpensive private labels. At a time of high inflation, that's the last thing consumers need. The second part um, is that it can compromise our national security and our cybersecurity, right? So China's always vacuuming up data. Um, one of the requirements of this bill, despite some cosmetic changes, is that the bill still requires U.S. companies to share sensitive data with foreign competitors. And that's why I say it's so important that we have national security hearings that have the FBI, or the NSA, or the CIA there to talk about it. And the third thing I'd just say about these bills overall is they'll hurt pensioners and retirees. Um, with these kind of series of five bills, um, these are going to raise the operating costs of these companies. It's going to lower their rates of return. And for a lot of uh, pension funds of teachers, firefighters, nurses, and police and other public sector workers, those are, those are big chunks that are holdings. And so uh, one, one study showed that the long-term estimate for people in Arizona uh, would be about a $2,000 loss overall. And so at the end of the day, we believe that the current antitrust system works, that it helps create competition. And there's really fierce competition in our technology sector. And so sounds, sounds, sounds like a good summary. We're, we're out of time. Uh, Doug Kelly, CEO of American Edge Project. Keep your eye. I, they're funded well enough. I think you'll see more of their commercials elsewhere. See you next week. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back now with the t- former Attorney General Terry Goddard, who is uh, uh, back passing petitions again against dark money. And that is the segue <laughs> that I and, and the reason I wanted you in on this show, because this organization, which did approach me and I had not heard of them, I dug into them and it said, this looks to me like this is a classic dark money organization. Tell us what a dark money organization is, and we'll go from there. Well, thank you. And, and uh, a dark money organization, very simply, is one who doesn't tell you where their money comes from. And you just listened to an extended uh, sequence with a very eloquent uh, CEO of, of the American Edge Project. And he managed to completely, in spite of two questions that you asked him about where his funding came from, he talked about small business and minority-owned businesses. And he talked about that first. And one suspect it's under 1% of their money. And and what American Edge is a 501c4 nonprofit advocacy organization, which does not have to disclose its contributors. So right there you have – the um, the universe that contains some very legitimate advocacy groups, but it also contains all the dark money groups that that basically exist in order to hide who it is that's funding their message. And, and in this case, I saw at the time they were formed, which was almost exactly two years ago, I pulled out a Washington Post article and basically says, title is, Facebook is quietly helping to set up a new pro-tech advocacy group to battle Washington. 
and uh, it is clearly not only Facebook, but it's certainly the the uh, drift of it looks like that's a really big part of it. Well, Mr. Kelly's company, American Edge Project, uh, was started with a four million dollar grant from Facebook. Mm-hmm. Not anybody else. In other words, it was it was mm-hmm. a wholly owned subsidiary in that sense. But when you see their op-eds, when you see the ads, such as the one you mm-hmm. played in the, in the first segment, uh, they do not disclose anything but American Edge Project. They don't say funded 90 percent or whatever the number is. And I think mm-hmm. it's close to 90 percent by Facebook. So when they talk about American innovation, when they try to talk about slowing the pace of, of legislation to strengthen our antitrust laws, they're basically doing it on behalf of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um and, and Facebook has been under great pressure from antitrust uh, prosecutors around the country, both at the state level mm-hmm. and from the FTC and the Justice Department. Um, and the reason has been it has really nothing to do with any of the things that Mr. Kelly was talking about. It's because they have dominated a market for social media. They have – they're the sole provider of certain kinds of targeted advertising because essentially they invade the privacy of all of their customers. Which which made kind of the reference – we're in favor of all these things on the list of things that they – you know, free ex- internet and growing the economy. Blah, blah. There were two that stuck out on me as kind of interesting. The most uh, uh, curious of these was privacy because I think most people associate – Facebook in particular, high tech in general, they're not because Facebook is not alone with being pretty high on the list of folks who have uh, who have invaded rather than protected privacy. Facebook clearly has, and there are others. You're right, uh, but but I guess back to dark money. This is an effort to lobby Congress using massive amounts of advertising, millions of dollars of advertising from American Edge Project, which has some. Very credible people on its board, uh, bipartisan uh, national security folks, a former uh, general who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to, to argue with their security interest. Yeah. And, and harder to argue if you're talking about high-tech manufacturing. I think the, the pandemic uh, showed us that there is something to be said for domestic production. Yes, there is. And um, a Taiwan Semiconductor is now going to be manufacturing in Phoenix. So mm-hmm. there's a uh, foreign ownership, but very, very much a local product. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I imagine Mr. Kelly would, would applaud that. And, and, and I think we all need to stand behind many of the things he was saying. But We do have to, however, be willing to accept that we can, we can manufacture back here, but we're going to pay a little more for it. Probably are. Because there Probably are. are. Uh, the world is a big place, and it's filled with lots of con- countries with lower wage scales. And, and, and not he, just China. A lot of the low-end manufacturers leaving China to move to India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and other places. And I thought there was a, a very subtle – he said he was from Michigan and that he deplored the, the loss of jobs that when the auto manufacturers moved overseas – I would note that the auto manufacturers didn't move because of antitrust prosecution. Uh, they moved because of labor costs and innovation uh, in, in other parts of the world. Well, and one could argue, and I was in Michigan in the 70s, that it was also the failure of American automobile manufacturing to companies to innovate. And it wasn't like we were just moving uh, GM plants to uh, to Mexico or somewhere else. We Take a, take a look on the street. You will see Toyota 
Toyotas and Nissans and basically uh, cars that did not originate in the United States that in the 1970s when I was in Michigan were simply, for all intents and purposes, not there. Yes, indeed. So let's let's sort of boil it all down. I mean, you've got a message that is rooted in national security, which I think everyone supports. Uh, uh, but then it immediately morphs into uh, basically a big government, uh, excuse me, a big company, a big business uh, uh, screed of mm-hmm. saying that, that we need to have these big uh, these big organizations in order to have the level of, of security that we would like. And the two don't go together. Um, you know, competition sp- spurs innovation, and I think that our entire uh, our entire record as a country, as an economy, has shown that to be the case. When when American competition is working, uh, innovation soars. When monopolies take over, innovation is stifled, and that's been true in the tech industry as well as in uh, just any other one you can think of. I think in in, in every industry. Yeah, I mean, and, I... and so the, the, there's there's a fundamentally <laughs> A sort of mixed up message here of using a very strong opening, using national security, national a lot security, of it. using a almost total obstru- obstruction or obscuring who it is that's paying the bill, mm-hmm. and and then trying to mash together the idea of encouraging innovation with fighting antitrust, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I very much wanted to ask him a couple more questions uh, about exactly why he's opposed to, A, breaking up some of the monopolist companies, and B, why uh, mergers that, that appear to be anti-competitive uh, should not be banned by law in the United States. And Facebook's a pretty good example. Um, they they merged with Instagram or purchased Instagram, and then uh, they're big enough and profitable enough that they don't have to beat the competition. In many cases, they can buy it. Well, and 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 the, 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 over the years that they have been the dominant player, and I the other question I would have asked is who does he consider the competition for Facebook? Because it's it's really hard to find TikTok, perhaps. And that brings in his national security issue, certainly, because mm-hmm. they're Chinese in their basis. But what we have seen in terms of Facebook's domination has been increased costs to advertisers and therefore to the consumers um, and uh, a, a very aggressive pattern of acquisitions of possible competitors. I mean, the joke in Silicon Valley for a long time was that if you uh, if you wanted to make a billion dollars, the way you did it was start, do an aggressive startup uh, and get bought it, by Facebook. And get bought by Facebook, exactly. Oh. Ah, we will be back with this, uh, continuing this discussion with Terry Goddard after the break when we will return in the Think Tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with former Attorney General Terry Goddard talking about dark money and, and the takeoff from this American Edge product, which we have identified as a as a dark money group, which ha- starts out as I, I think most you know well argued political arguments do. You find some things that everybody's in favor of. Long list of them: pre-internet, growing the economy, strengthening national security, et cetera, et cetera. Find things that are important and widely supported, and then announce that you are in favor of all of those things. And uh, what the 
secreted sources of funding prevent somebody from connecting the dots about are, oh, wait a minute, you say you're for these things, but you have a monetary interest in X, Y, and Z, and that's what this is really about. If you don't know where the money comes from, you don't get to make that connection. It's all about informing the consumer, informing the voter, and and that's why I think dark money puts such a pall over our political discourse because unless you know who it is that's talking, you can't evaluate what they're saying. And, you know, I think that's just a truism. It's uh, if if you've got uh, a witness on the stand, for example, and they are prejudiced uh, for or against the defendant based on a relationship or based on a financial interest, Mm -hmm. the jury needs to know that. And then they can make their own decisions about whether or not they're credible. Voters in Arizona don't get that chance. And unfortunately, uh, just to go back to the example of uh, the American Edge Project, um, you've got many of the uh, indicators of dark money. One, it's a 501c4. All the dark money organizations go that way to have that this organization. This distinction is 501c3 is a legitimate charity. Well, you, can take both... a, you can take a deduction. Yes. For, if, you right. may, if you give money – to a church or uh, an organization that's a 501c3, you can deduct that as a charitable contribution. A 501c4, you cannot. That is correct. The C4 is known as a, an advocacy organization. Mm-hmm. And so they're nonprofit. Uh, they don't pay taxes. But you're right. They don't get it. The you don't donors get it. don't get a charitable deduction. So it's, it's a different kind of animal. But what they do get is that there is no obligation based on the IRS rules to disclose where their money comes from. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the folks who want to stay secret have gone. So American Edge is a 501c4. Um, I tried to get the most recent uh, numbers and found that they weren't even listed in the FEC, the Federal Election Commission uh, uh, reports of who spends money on elections. Mm-hmm. And yet I know from a couple of articles that they've spent significantly in what we would call lobbying and, and also uh, – Presumably for candidates, but I'm not sure about that. A 501c4 of that ilk can give to candidates. They can't give directly to candidates. They can okay. give. They can run independent campaigns. Okay. Okay. So there's a friendly senator. Support. You can't give money to his campaign, but you can pour millions into a uh, a media purchase that will be supportive of that candidate. Again, I come. I think I'm stretching here, but it, as long as you don't quote unquote coordinate exactly, with and and that's probably why the FEC doesn't have their expenditures because they don't specifically put it into candidates uh, as a pack would or. As a uh, individual contributor, this would. is often the the source of of the disclaimer. Like, uh, call Senator so and so and tell him that you are either pleased or angry with whatever he's doing in this area, depending on what the issue is. And and the message uh, to senators and and congressmen um, about the, um, the, the the this most recent piece of legislation, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, uh, has cost. I'm guessing I don't have the numbers, but millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a early uh, effort in 2020, which I believe was reported in the Washington Post, that said they'd put um, uh, two million dollars into Facebook ads, and so they're using advertising to influence legislation. That's the classic uh, sort of backdoor lobbying. Mm-hmm. 
and and they're doing it very sophisticated. You know, what you hear, what we see are, are mm-hmm. very well crafted, and they do a lot of small newspaper op-eds, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Kelly's name is all over the uh, the small newspapers around the country where they put in op-eds. I suspect some of them are paid placements, but I don't know that. Uh, they, they're certainly picked up as editorial copy. And what they none of them say is that their fund, primary funding is from Facebook. And the $2 million that were spent on Facebook ads uh, basically decrying the antitrust system in, our, in America. Which was uh, about to come down on Facebook. Which was, in fact, coming down on Facebook uh, with a number of, of coordinated uh, uh, investigations um, did not disclose that Facebook had anything to do with this message, with the op-eds that mm-hmm. I mentioned or with the Facebook ads. It was all American Edge Project. And the reason for that is the reason for dark money at, uh, writ large. Uh, if Facebook had, in fact, sponsored the ads and they put their name on it, um, I think the consumers, the voters, would have instantly questioned its credibility because Facebook had a very obvious interest in preserving their market power. Mm-hmm. Um, but when American Edge has their name on it, hiding the fact that Facebook is really the funder, uh, now voters and, and consumers don't have the same level of sophistication. They can't make the kind of decisions that I believe they're entitled to make in our democracy. And the first American Edge ad, when I Googled it to try to find you know, an example, it was filled with very, very high-profile, very high-credibility national defense folks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that folks who don't, also don't come cheap. <laughs> you, look at their, you look at their profile and their staffing, and that $2 million you mentioned, that sounds to me like seed money. I think it was seed that money. Was, that yeah, wasn't, it, that it, wasn't their, their it, big hit of it, funds. It wasn't the whole thing, but if you— and, and that's what it's hard to get our hands on. And if I'd had a chance to ask him some other questions, uh, he's very eloquent and he fills the time very well. Mm-hmm. So not to be critical, I've, I've done that myself. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, the bottom line is I'd like to know what their budget was. I'd like to know what they spent it on. Uh, was it advertising? Was it op-eds and some of these others? Was it commissions and, and payment for some of these high visibility people? I don't know. Um, but – it's the kind of question that I think we're entitled to uh, to get answers to. And, and the bottom line is I believe that if Facebook is behind a particular set of advertising, they should say so. And the voters or the consumers should have the chance to know who it is that's, that's sponsoring that message. And American Edge, like other dark money organizations, is the intermediary that keeps us from knowing. And they would say, and I think they have said, I've seen some interviews with Mr. Kelly where he says – when pressed, he says, yes, we have a major affiliation with Facebook. Um, but he also adds 50 other companies and, and makes it seem like they're just one of the crowd. Right, right. But what I've learned is that they're not one of the crowd. They are the funder, they are the founder, and they are the main funder of this organization. And there may have been some gentle arm twisting among giants to contribute a little bit to I'm sure sort there of was. spread the credibility sure there was. of that be able to say we have. But then you have to take the next step. The, the, the issue is national security. That's, what, that's their, entry, their, their entry to a, a credible argument. And I think like motherhood and apple pie, it's something that we all want to be supportive of. And, and, and then not they, having it is scary. And, and, and I guess the question I asked him, which I really didn't hear an answer to, was exactly what is Facebook's role in national security? 
Um, and, and, and he frankly, did. He did. He answered by saying, "All right. Well, let me talk more broadly about he technology went in general." To Amazon yeah. and Microsoft, yeah. yeah, two other companies that arguably have a great role mm-hmm. in protecting hack against hacking and and mm-hmm. and finding you know some of these cyber pirates and and running mm-hmm. them down. That's important. That needs mm-hmm. to be done. That needs to be encouraged. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard that Facebook was involved in that. Uh, on the other hand, Facebook has certainly faced a great deal of legitimate criticism about their failure to find uh, the Russian interference in the 2016 election, their failure to, to run down some of the really despicable false statements that relate to COVID and to relate to uh, mm-hmm. whether or not uh, you know there was a real virus out there. Um, you know, they have some responsibilities they've frankly shirked. So to say that they are a model of either privacy or accuracy would be a serious misstatement. Let's uh, move, if we could, to we've got about three and a half minutes left. Your own, uh, your own efforts. Uh, you passed petitions uh, in the what was it <laughs> two years ago or four years ago? You you got you got the signatures and you got thrown out by the Supreme Court on I forget. There was some technical violation. I, 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 I live on the street these days. Yeah. This is our third effort to yeah. try to get Arizona to provide its citizens the right to know the original source mm-hmm. of money that's spent trying to influence their vote. I mean, it's back to our talk about dark money. Um, we would like to to stop dark money in Arizona by making all of the sources public, making them disclosed. And I think it's a very small ask of uh, Great many people, regardless of party, uh, agree with that principle, and uh, we've gotten a lot of signatures. We've done it now three times, as you're Empiri- very tactfully empirical, pointing out. Em- empirical validation, I think. That Tempe may have been the only place that actually no, had this on the there ballot. There were right? two. Uh, Tempe had it on the ballot, and 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 I'm very proud of this. I helped to write the Tempe ordinance, and it was passed by 91.4 percent of the Tempe. We voters. don't get 91 percent for anything. Well, I think in a yeah. democracy, that's pretty close yeah. to unanimous. Yeah. Uh, and Phoenix had it on the ballot the same year which I believe was two years ago, and uh, 85% voted mm-hmm. in favor. So once again, a very overwhelming number. Your, your opponents know if you get on the ballot, you win. I believe so. So they're trying to do everything they can to keep us mm-hmm. off the ballot. And they did that in, in 2018. Uh, you're right, the Supreme Court ultimately, uh, I think unfortunately based on some improper facts, but they they decided that uh, – that we didn't have quite enough signatures. Um, we came back in 2020, but you remember there was a little problem with COVID around yeah, March yeah, of yeah. 2020, and we had to suspend our petition gathering because that's an in-person. Mm-hmm. Under Arizona law, you can't do it electronically. You have to have now, if a you're running for office, the, you, for running for office, you can do it electronically. Well, this is a very sore point, but mm-hmm. yes, you can. But if you're trying to get a new law that the legislature doesn't approve of, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid I'm in that category— mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got to have live signatures with real people and real, uh, you know, uh, individuals on both sides of the table, both signing the petition mm-hmm. and passing the petition. And uh, we've been doing that. We're in our last month. The deadline is the 7th of July. So anybody who wants to sign a petition, I hope will go online, uh, stopdarkmoney.com, if I can make a pitch. And uh, – they can find out how to get a petition and, and or where to sign one. Legislature doesn't like people passing their own laws. <laughs> but legislature, I think it's fair to say the majority at least hate that idea uh, and do everything in their power to make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Hence the 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 variety of, of uh, increasing uh, strictures about 
who can pass a petition and if the staple's in the wrong place or the staple's been removed, must detach, you know, just uh, onerous. You're absolutely right. uh, They made it very tough, and I think that uh, we're past the time that that I think the voters should rise up and and call them on that. Terry Goddard, we thank you. Uh, If you need to reach me, MikeO'Neill.org is a website that will also give you a link to social media and a, a email and the rest. See you next week in the Think Tank.